scripture today is from Luke chapter 19, verses 28 to 38. After Jesus had said this, he went on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. As he approached Bethphage and Bethany at the hill called the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it? Say, the Lord needs it. Those who were sent ahead went and found it, just as they were told. <clears throat> as they were untying the colt, its owners asked them, why are you untying the colt? They replied, the Lord needs it. They brought it to Jesus, threw their cloaks on the colt, and put Jesus on it. As he went along, people spread their cloaks on the road. When he came near the place where the road goes down to the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in loud voices for all the miracles they had seen. Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Lord, I thank you for your word. I thank you that it is true, it is good. It is applicable. I thank you that we've been saturating in your word so far through the service. We've been hearing it over and over and over again. Lord, I pray that uh, it would seep into the crevices of our lives, that it would break up the hard places, that it would cause life to come and to grow, and that we would know that that the Holy Spirit, that you, the Holy Spirit, um, are saying what we need to hear from your eternal truth that never changes. Amen. So what does it mean to press on to obey in the mystery? What does it mean to press on to obey God in the mystery? What does it mean to step ahead in faith when you don't know what's coming next? How much information do we need to have before we obey Jesus? This is week five in our Lent series on pressing on. And the assumption here in the title of the series, Pressing On, is that it's easier to give up and to quit than it is to press on and to keep on going. So, so far through this series, we've looked at uh, pressing on through the desert. Uh, Jesus pressed on so that we can press in. Third one was pressing on to fruitfulness, pressing on back home. Last week, uh, we looked at pressing on to pour ourselves out with the account of Mary dousing Jesus' feet with 65 grand's worth of perfume. And this week, we're looking at pressing on to obey in the mystery. Uh, and as you heard this morning, our focus is Luke chapter 19 from verse 28 to 40. It's the account, what's known as the triumphal entry, even though, you know, the Bible itself doesn't refer to itself as that, but that's, you know, the name that we've kind of, um, we've, uh, um, um, absorbed, I guess, through, uh, spiritual osmosis or maybe tradition over the years. Um, and it's, it's this moment where Jesus rides into Jerusalem on a donkey. Most of us know the story. So let's pick up from verse 30. Jesus is approaching a village. It's either Bethphage 
or Bethany. It's right by the Mount of Olives, just a couple of kilometers from Jerusalem. I think it was last week that we found out that, you know, the distance from Bethany to Jerusalem was like from the one Tim Hortons in Kentville to the other Tim Hortons in Kentville. Not very far. And, uh, and so he's, he's, he's just a couple of kilometers from Jerusalem, and Jesus gives his disciples these instructions. He says, go to the village ahead of you, and as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. So here's the first takeaway. God's instructions don't always make sense. Now, we know the end of the story. Oh, yeah, you know, Jesus wants the donkey so that he can ride on it in Jerusalem with palm branches waving and hosannas and coach strewn on the road. Yeah, we know it all makes sense. We understand why. We understand the importance of the donkey. But they don't know that. The disciples in that moment, they don't know that. And so let's, so this morning, let's pretend that we don't know it either. We don't know how the story ends. All we have, all they have, is a rabbi saying to his disciples, go into the village, you'll find a donkey, and without, and take it without asking permission. What's another word for taking something that without permission? <laughs> okay, so you can bring that into your prayer life afterwards and figure out what that means. Okay, but Jesus says, take it without asking permission and bring it to me. Um, so keep this idea in your mind as I read to you a story. I, you know, and let me just say, in case anyone's wondering, Jesus was sinless and perfect. He didn't condone stealing or steal, right? So, but uh, still. <laughs> Hashtag heretical pastor. Uh, so I want you to keep this idea in your mind as I read to you a story that you might have heard. It's been shared in many times in many versions, but the version I want to share to you is one that Rick Grimes shared on The Walking Dead, okay? Once again, strike two, Dan. This is getting very, very close. And uh, this is what, this is how the story goes according to Rick Grimes from the zombie TV show The Walking Dead. Um, I got to season eight, and then I just had to quit. It was like, nothing exciting is happening anymore. So uh, anyway, so, so Rick Grimes tells the story of, of a kingdom that had a well-traveled road. The road had a giant rock in the middle, and people stumbled over this rock, and their horses broke their legs trying to maneuver around it. One day, a little girl was badly injured when her family's wagon hit the rock. They had been traveling to market to sell their beer, okay, Okay, strike three. This is it. I, I am done as a Wesleyan pastor. Um, when their cart tipped over and all their beer poured on the ground. No, it's okay. It's all been wasted. <laughs> it was all the product that they had to sell, and without the money, they would have nothing. The girl didn't understand why so many people tried to go around the rock instead of moving it. Why would a rock be in such a bad location? That, so the girl started to dig with her bare hands, and eventually she was able to move the rock out of the way. Before she could cover up the hole, she found a bag of gold. The king had put the rock in the road, and he'd put the gold there to reward the person who took the time to move the rock. Anyone who would do such a thing deserved to be rewarded. And we too serve a wise king. And sometimes he puts opportunities in front of us masked as obstacles. God's instructions don't always make sense. 
But hopefully what we'll learn this morning is that we do not need to understand in order to obey. But when we do obey, we are blessed. For example, in 1966, um, a 22-year-old English woman named Jackie Pullinger wanted to serve her wise King Jesus overseas. So she sought counsel and her pastor, her pastor friend, her, her, her Church of England vicar friend, Richard Thompson, gave her this advice. He said, get onto a boat and pray that God will show you when to get off. <laughs> so she gets on this ship thinking that she'll get off in Africa. But while sailing this long-haul voyage, she had a vivid dream about Hong Kong and realized that God was calling her there. So she alights in Hong Kong with only 10 pounds in her pocket. Well, what happens next? Well, as the Alpha website tells us, over years of persistently following Jesus' voice and responding to the needs around her, In Hong Kong, Jackie saw hundreds of drug-addicted gangsters and sex workers set free through prayer, radical hospitality, and life-on-life care. And it all began with her obeying when her wise king asked her to do something that she did not fully understand. You can read her incredible story in the book, Chasing the Dragon. So let's look at this morning at what a life looks like that radically follows the the leadings and the teachings of Jesus, whether or not it makes sense, right? Last week, we saw that a faith-filled response to King Jesus was a $65,000 foot bath made of perfume. Today, it involves two disciples liberating a donkey. Now, we don't know who the, who, who the disciples are, but Jesus tells them in verse 31, if anyone asks you, why are you untying it, say that the Lord needs it. And so our second takeaway this morning is that uh, your obedience is essential to God's plans unfolding. The disciples are very much on a need-to-know basis here, and Jesus only tells them what they need to know. They don't know the big picture here. All they know is the first step. And Jesus tells them that they are to go to someone's private property. Here is a donkey, and they are to take it. Does Jesus need a donkey? Well, he says that he does. And does he need his disciples to procure it for him? I mean, couldn't he do what he did with Noah's ark and simply make the donkey walk to him? And so this idea of God needing things is an interesting one, but it says here the Lord needs it. But this idea of God needing things is an interesting one because what we're told throughout Scripture is that God does not need anything. Acts chapter 7, 49. Heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. What kind of house will you build for me, says the Lord? Or where will my resting place be? Has not my hand made all of these things? If God needed anything, then it would mean that he was not self-sufficient, that he's insufficient, that he's lacking, that, that there's something that we can do on some level that will complete him. But the doctrine of self-sufficiency says otherwise. 
A theologian, Thomas Oden, says this, to affirm that God is underived or independent or necessary means that God depends on no cause external to God. God's life is contingent upon nothing else. And yet here we have Jesus, the Son of God, the second person of the Trinity, telling his disciples that they need to get a donkey because he has need of it. It seems that God, the complete and fully sufficient one, has created a world in which he gets stuff done as we cooperate with him. In a sense, God has created a system in which he is dependent on us. Of course, we can easily stray into heresy here, right? Overplaying this hand. God does not need us. But again, God God does need us because he chose to need us. Luke 19 and many other scriptures show us that God invites us into a cooperative relationship with him. Where in a real sense, if we don't get things done, they will not get done. If Jackie had not got on that ship and prayed and God had told her to get off at Hong Kong, if she had not obeyed, there would be many Hong Kongers in hell, lost. If the disciples hadn't gone to get the donkey, Jesus would have had to walk. So I wonder for your life, what what act of obedience is God calling you to that is essential to his perfect will unfolding here on earth as it is in heaven? Thirdly, God's commands are not arbitrary. They are not random. They are not just pulled out of thin air. In Jesus' perfect knowledge, he knows that the donkey is there. And that as the disciples take it, he knows ahead of time that they will be challenged. And so ahead of time, he gives them the words to say, if and when challenged. And indeed, this is what happens. Verse 32, those who were sent ahead went and found it just as he had told them. As they were untying the colt, its owners asked them, why are you untying the colt? They were challenged. God's commands are not arbitrary or random. As we move forward in faith, we can be assured that God will equip us. And the disciples in this case were equipped with the right words to say. And this calls to mind Jesus' words in Luke chapter 12 where he says, When you are brought before synagogues, rulers and authorities, do not worry about how you will defend yourselves or what you will say, for the Holy Spirit will teach you at that time what you should say. And so we too have the security in knowing that when the time is right, if we are walking in faith and obedience, led by the Spirit, that we will be given the words to say. Jesus told the disciples, and Jesus through the Holy Spirit even now equips us with the right word for the right season. And what did they say? Verse 34, they replied, the Lord needs it. When I was uh, at a youth camp in Cornwall as a teenager, we used to do this thing called the officer hunt, where the youth leaders or the sponsors would hide in the town center in plain sight, actually disguised. Sometimes uh, they were disguised as homeless people or a Middle Eastern sheikh. There was no such thing as cultural appropriation back then, okay? Uh, Or a Highland Scot complete with a kilt. Sometimes they were Batman and Robin, you know, the 1950s version, not the cool version now, okay? 
Most of the time, it was easy to tell who the officers were, but sometimes they were sneaky, and it was really hard to tell if they were regular people or if they were the camp leaders. And so you as a camper would have to go up to that person that you suspected may or may not be a camp leader, and you would say a secret phrase. And if the person was a leader, then upon hearing the secret phrase, they would reveal themselves. And one time the phrase was, beam me up, Scotty. So can you imagine walking up to someone that might potentially be a stranger and saying to them, beam me up, Scotty. Again, it was a different age. Kids don't do that now. And that's the kind of awkwardness I feel here. You're a disciple of Jesus, and you're taking a donkey, which in any other circumstance would be called stealing. And if you're caught stealing, then you are to say the phrase that pays, the Lord needs it. And if I was the donkey owner, then my first question would be, what Lord? And my second question would be, if he is a Lord, why does he need my donkey? Now, we don't know from the story if the owner just handed over the donkey or if there was an exchange, if there was any convincing that needed to happen. But the theological takeaway of this exchange is that God's claim is absolute. His claim as sovereign of the universe, as the one who owns the cattle on a thousand hills, his claim on the things that you own, that you consider to be yours, is absolute. Why? Because he's king. The idea of the right of this sovereign is mirrored in 1 Samuel chapter 8, um, where, where, where we read this. It's actually kind of said in a negative light. But uh, here's what a sovereign king looks like. This is what the king who will reign over, over you will claim as his rights. And then there's a big long list. And then at the end, your, your male and female servants and the best of your cattle and donkeys, he will take for his own use. So when the, king of, when the king of the universe, the lord of the universe says, I need it, the correct response is, of course, it's yours, you can have it. But let's pause for a moment. Because yes, Jesus' claim is absolute. And the donkey is his to be called upon. And yet he positions himself in such a way that he requires the cooperation of humans to complete his will. I expect that if the owner of the donkey had said, no, you can't take my donkey, then the disciples would have had to go back empty-handed. And so Jesus placed himself at the mercy of the cooperation, both of his disciples, that you might understand, but then also of a stranger. And in a miracle of faith and provision, Jesus' perfect will was fulfilled in cooperation with humans. So let's recap. God's instructions don't always make sense. Number two, your obedience is essential to God's plans unfolding. Number three, God's commands are not arbitrary. Number four, God's claim is absolute. And number five, your obedience sets in motion a chain of events that you cannot control. Verse 35, they brought it to Jesus 
threw their cloaks on the colt and put Jesus on it. As he went along, people spread their cloaks on the ground, on the road. When he came near the place where the road goes down the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in loud voices for all the miracles they had seen. Blesses the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. This is brilliant because Jesus asks Two disciples, unknown, probably not one of the twelve, probably one of the larger group, but these unknown followers of his, to find a donkey, and it results in a mob of praise and worship. But why is it that this sight of Jesus on a donkey engenders such a riotous response in this mob of disciples? Well, we find that answer in Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9. Rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. Shout, daughter Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you, righteous and victorious, lowly and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. You see, Jesus riding on a donkey into Jerusalem had flipped a switch on in the minds of the disciples. Suddenly they realized that Jesus the rabbi is Jesus the Messiah, is Jesus the king. He's the king of Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9. It's like undercover boss, first century edition, right? In this moment, Jesus flings off his scrubs, and suddenly they realize that Jesus is the boss. And just like the prophecy says, yes, he's a king, but he's a humble king. Yeah, he's the one who has right of ownership literally over everything that you have. But he's also the one who rides on a donkey, who asks, who requests. He's gentle and lowly in heart. He's the king. He's the sort of the king who wins over the hearts of people rather than forcing his way in. Verse 37, the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in loud voices for all the miracles they had seen. And who did this whole crowd of disciples include? Well, it included the two disciples who had just witnessed the miracle of Jesus' perfect knowledge leading to the absurd request for the donkey that led to an act of obedience that resulted in the fulfillment of Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9. There are two people in that throng of people praising God in loud voices for the miracles they had seen. Two specific people who said to each other, we did this. One of them turns to the other and says, we went to that village and we got the donkey. We felt stupid doing it at the time, but we did it anyways. And even though we didn't at that time understand the significance of the donkey, Jesus did. He knew that a donkey would conjure up in people's minds the image of a humble king riding in to claim what is rightfully his. He knew that they would get the reference and they did. And because of their cooperation with Jesus, they were the reason for their own joy. I cannot overstate this point that your obedience sets in motion a chain of events that you cannot control. And it's glorious and it ends up in your joy. So our passage today has been a beautiful portrayal of obedience in the face of mystery. Warren Wearsby tries to explain it in this way. 
He says, to be sure, there's mystery involved in the relationship between divine sovereignty and human responsibility, but we don't have to explain the will of God before we can obey it. We live by divine promises and precepts, not theological explanations. And God isn't obligated to explain anything to us. Or like Deuteronomy 29 verse uh, verse. 29 says, the secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things revealed belong to us and to our children forever that we may follow all the words of this law. There are secret things, things about God that we have no access to and we will never know. These are the things that belong to God. That's most things, right? That's 99.9% of the reality of who God is are the secret things. But not everything is secret. Some of it is revealed. And if God chooses to reveal it, like, go get me a donkey, then it is so that we may follow all the words, so that we may obey him. And a great example of this that applies to all of us is Matthew chapter 24, verse 14. And this, um, and this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations. And then the end will come. God's promise is that the end will come. And many of us are praying for the end to come. Come Lord Jesus, Maranatha, come Lord Jesus. But the end coming is contingent on the gospel being preached to the whole world, to all nations. And the gospel being preached is contingent on someone preaching it. Romans chapter 10 verse 13, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Just look at the dependencies, just look at the logic here. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then can they call on the one that they have not believed in? How can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can anyone preach unless they are sent? Friends, it's not enough to hope that Jesus comes again. He will only come after people like you and I obey in the mystery and open our mouths to testify or preach, as you know the word here, regarding this life change that God has worked in our lives, or by opening our wallets and sending missionaries to the least reached peoples of this world. So the only way to usher in heaven, the only sure way to usher in heaven is to tell your story or to give to world missions like Sarah or the McCullers or World Hope or Global Partners. Yours is not to know the full measure of how God takes the gospel to all nations. Your job is to obey in the mystery and to do your part. Don't pray for Jesus to come back unless your mouth is open or your wallet is open. Jesus revealed to the disciples that he needed a donkey and how they could get it, but he kept secret the reason why. And I imagine that one of the reasons he kept it secret was to increase their joy and amazement down the road. You see, Jesus could have said, um, I need you to get a donkey, then I need you to put your coats on it, then you get me to sit on it, make sure I sit on it, and then don't forget to get a crowd 
you know, together and then throw a party and we'll be heading towards Jerusalem so you know roughly where we will be heading. So make sure the right people are in the right place at the right time, okay? Then I want you to start chanting Psalm 118 verse 26. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. And maybe also start chanting, you know, what the angel said when I was born. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. That would be amazing. Because what I'm thinking is, is that if the angels knew that I was the king, uh, it will be awesome to have these things shouted loudly because then everyone will get that I'm claiming to be king. He could have said that, but do you think that if Jesus had outlined his full plan ahead of time, that it would have had anywhere near the impact that the actual unfolding of events happened or had? And so as we look forward to Christ's second coming in glory as the King of kings and the Lord of lords, Jesus requires the same obedience in the face of mystery. When we are in the presence of God, we will know the joy of seeing the bigger picture, like in uh, 1 Corinthians 13. For we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when completeness comes, what is in part will disappear. When I was a child, I taught like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put the way of childhood behind me. For now we see only a reflection as in a mirror, then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I'm fully known. We use this verse to talk about marriage, right? But it's actually about living in the light of eternity. Right now, we are not in the time of completeness. That's not our time. We are now in the impart time. That's, that's our era. And all we know is that Jesus wants us to share our story or to give up our job or to move to another city or to talk to our neighbor who is alone or to increase our giving or to start a, or to start a conversation in faith with a colleague who's going through a hard time or to spend more time with the kids or to go to the mission field. That's all that we know right now. All we know is in part. All we know is that we got to go and get the donkey. And getting the donkey can be frustrating because it doesn't make sense. Because it's, it looks embarrassing because it can go wrong. And we want to know completely. But friends, know that a huge part of the joy of completeness that we will experience later is connected with pressing on into obeying God in the mystery now.